Well, this is the second day of the hearings at the ICJ. Yesterday, the applicant, South Africa, who brought the case, supported by a number of uh, countries. uh, And, uh, of course, you know, many congratulating and... South Africa for having taken the initiative itself. Uh, a great day, in fact, for South Africa, a great day for uh, South Africa's legal system to having present this case at the ICJ. Uh, to get our thoughts on that, uh, thoughts of, you know, of, of yesterday's, uh, you know, the, the argument of the applicant as well as the uh, the response today by the State of Israel. Joining us is Ramzi Baroud, a U.S.-Palestinian journalist, media consultant and author and internationally syndicated columnist, ed- editor of the Palestine Chronicle, 1999 till now, and of course, former managing editor of the London-based Middle East Eye, and former editor-in-chief of the Brunei Times, and a whole lot of uh, list of accolades to uh, Dr. Baroud's name. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Ramzi Baroud. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah, brother. Thank you for having me. And shukran for joining us. Uh, Dr. Ramzi, let's begin with your thoughts. Israel's presentation today, contrasting it to South Africa's yesterday. If you could, uh, in a few minutes, summarize what went through, uh, you know, what, what were your thoughts on hearing both arguments? Well, let's start with the response. Um, it was really quite predictable and uh, and and quite stale and, and weak uh, not uh, this is not based on my own biases it's just uh, israel is in a position where it's very difficult to find a legal argument to defend against genocide which has been articulated in the most powerful uh, legally based uh, but also emotional and impassionate uh, uh, speeches and presentations and well-documented evidence that are not based on uh, on on mere testimonies or claims, but rather on the uh, statements and the work of uh, some of the world's most respected uh, international organizations, UN-linked organizations, human rights groups, charities uh, that operate in Gaza, and they have direct. Uh, involvement and direct accounts of what has been taking place. The Israeli argument was a, uh, based on uh, that what Israel has done um, is a, is done in self-defense. And the self-defense argument um, doesn't work uh, in this case. I mean, it's not that convenient to come and say, we're blowing up mosques because the Hamas uh, fighters are using mosques, supposedly, to uh, fire at Israel. We are destroying homes because they are using homes. We are killing civilians because they are using civilians as human shields. I mean, you can't just eradicate a nation and find a convenient way of describing that destruction, that systematic destruction, uh, by saying it was all done in, in, in a case of self-defense. The other thing is that it's going to be very, very difficult. You see, if the Israelis themselves, the Israeli officials themselves have been saying that um, we are doing everything in our power to avoid civilians. Uh, we love Palestinians. We have no problem with the ordinary Palestinian civilians, those so-called terrorists that we are. But to the contrary, Israeli officials and politicians and media they have been using the language of genocide. And I, I, was, I wrote about the genocidal language of Israel repeatedly since the beginning of the war, warned that this war is heading towards genocide simply by examining the official and, non- and semi-official discourses coming from Israel. It was all about eradication, destruction, blowing up, throwing nuclear bombs, 
uh, you know, expelling all Palestinians. So the language has been genocidal from the beginning. So let's suppose that there is a judge who is naive enough who would believe that there is any element of self-defense involved here. How do you justify the discourse that has been consistent, mainstream, centralized, and directly linked to all of this, including statements by the defense minister who says we are going to cut off food, medicine, fuel, electricity, everything. These are human animals. How can you possibly find a self-defense argument against that? So not only is the South African case quite straightforward from a legal perspective, but it's also powerful in terms of the linkage between the those who love the case, the, the South Africa African government and lawyers and their own shared historical experience with the Palestinians because of their fight against racism, apartheid and genocide at various times of history. I really think it's a straightforward case. Of course, politics does play part in this, but the question is to what extent. So we're quite hopeful that something good will come out of this. Hmm. Dr. Ramsey, in today's um, counter-arguments, the lawyers representing the state of Israel, should I say defending them, consistently refer to an age-old argument that we've heard for multiple generations now post-1948, and that is the eradication of the Jewish people and claiming that October 7th was an intent. It was a mini-holocaust against the, uh, the, the Jewish people, the intent were, uh, you know, was to destroy Jewish people rather than Israeli citizens, rather than an attack against an aggressive state. What is a, a proper counter to that? I mean, we've heard this here for a long, long time. And Israel seems to have an issue drawing the line between, you know, a religion and a secular state that on one occasion they appear or, or sometimes they appear as a secular state demanding uh, treatment as one. And, and on another time they, they demand that, you know what, that we, we actually are representative of a religion, which, which obviously they're not. No, no secular state can represent an entire world international eternal religion what's your thoughts on on that argument that has that we've heard quite often today dr ramzi there is historically there's always been a, a huge gap between what the israeli government or the israelis say to represent themselves or present their government and their, their uh for um, their so-called democracy and their military and all of this and the reality on the ground um Long before October 7, Israel has made that argument that Palestinians, Arabs, Muslims, Iran, everybody is out there to eradicate the state of Israel. In fact, I have been asked point blank if I thought that Israel has the right to exist as a Jewish state. And my answer is no, nobody has the right to exist purely based on ethnicity, and the answer was Ramzi Baroud is calling for the eradication of Israel. So there is no um, there is no margin in how Israel defined who are threatening its existence or not. So you can imagine after the, the military operation of October 7, that Israel is going to make that argument, but there are actually no real evidence of that argument. For example, the killing that happened at the Nova Music Festival uh, on October 7th. Later on, we discovered that many of those killed, according to Israel's own media, were actually killed by the Israelis themselves. 
Many of the hostages who were taken on October 7th inside Israel, later on we were told by various Israeli channels and eventually by the Israeli military itself that they were actually bombed by the Israelis themselves. So it wasn't very... It, it was clear that the, the, the Hamas fighters did not go there to kill every Israeli they found. Otherwise, the number would have been much, much higher considering of, of Israeli casualties, considering how far the resistance has actually reached within Israel itself. That argument is as weak as Netanyahu's argument yesterday, for example, and the day before by others, that Israel has the more... The, the most moral army in the world. I mean, they just say things. Just it, it, It's infuriating because they say things and you are watching today, for example, 151 civilians were killed within 24 hours, mostly children. You are watching these mutilated bodies of Palestinians and then you hear Netanyahu before or after that scene say that we are the most moral army in the world. Israel can can portray itself in any way it wants. It's, it's, it's business, and we can't control what Netanyahu says or doesn't. But the question is, can we, as, as people within the international community who care not only about Palestinians, but also about international law and justice, and that we refuse to live in this law of the jungle that Israel and its supporters in Washington and London wants us to live in, are we going to allow this to happen for much longer? Watch a whole nation being wiped out. Over 5% now of all of Gazans have been killed. 1.9 millions are displaced. 2.2 millions are starving. And we, we're supposed to watch all of this and just take Netanyahu's word for it. That, oh, all of this is just a state of self-defense and Israel and the Israeli army is the most moral in the world. And if you disagree, you're an anti-Semite. This logic needs to end and it needs to end now and forever. And I think what South Africa has done, honestly, it's beyond anything we have expected. I mean, I've came to South Africa many times in the past and because we, I knew the link and many like me knew that there is an important link that we have to invest in so that our comrades, sisters and brothers in South Africa stand by our side. But to see South Africa leading the world towards a path of justice, it is just absolutely incredible to the relationship between both nations and the relationship, the centrality of South Africa to the justice discourse globally. Dr. Ramsey, uh you know, t- just just digressing from the actual contents of the of uh, of, of yesterday's uh, presentation as well as today's, um, we've seen in the last few hours airstrikes in Yemen. Now, the the, the conflict is over. The the actual situation, we we'll even call it a conflict, has already escalated beyond a long time ago. It's already escalated long, well beyond. Uh, you know, the, the region itself, in, in the sense of uh, of Palestine, it, it already. Uh, was in other parts of the world. We saw Israeli influence in Africa. We've seen it in many parts of the Middle East, uh, which already meant a, a, you know, the, the, the tentacles of the Zionist state going further and further uh, entrenching itself. But here we've seen uh, the US and UK uh, attack targets in, in Yemen. And uh, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that? I know you've been, you've been pretty passionate and, and tweeting about it for a while. Right. So Washington and London are under the impression that this is 1991. 
uh, or at worst 2003, when they just basically, you know, kind of bring a coalition of uh, some kind, or in 2003, when they couldn't find a coalition, they brought this kind of haggard armies from all over the world and called it the coalition of the willing. And then they went and they start bombing Iraq with no international mandate, with no respect to international or humanitarian laws. And they managed just for a while to slow down the changes that were happening in the region with them or without them. That backfired quite badly. And that's a whole different story. But what they are under the impression now that they can actually do the same thing, you know, just you have a problem. Um, don't deal with the problem. Just blow things up. I mean, that's what they do. And it's embarrassing that they actually think that this is foreign policy and they think that this is going to make a difference. Well, you know, Yemen has went through nearly seven years of war. Most of the weapons that were dumped on Yemen during that time were American and British and Western weapons coming from a coalition of a good number of Arab and Muslim countries. They couldn't make the slightest difference. They couldn't regain an inch of areas that are, are under the control of the Ansarullah Ansar group. So I can't imagine that few tomahawks fired by the Americans are going to make much of a difference. But there are several issues that need to be sorted out here. Number one, this is not an isolated event from what is happening in Gaza and in Lebanon. The, the Ansarullah group made it very clear we are not targeting anyone but Israeli ships, we're not targeting them to destroy them or to kill anybody. We just don't want them to reach Elat or, uh, or Sderut or other Israeli ports until this siege, the war stops and the siege on Gaza ends. And you would think, but this is not really a proper channel of achieving these kind of goals. But give me another one that works. The whole world has been watching the Palestinians. My people in Gaza, my family has lost over 24 members and counting. And nobody has come to the rescue aside from Ansarullah. And they did it in the most geopolitically savvy way of doing things. They got everybody's attention and they hurt the Israeli, but also the Western and American economy in particular. And that's why they are being punished for it. It's not going to make any difference. If it's anything, it shows how politically strategically, but also morally bankrupt this old coalition of Americans and British blowing things up in the Middle East is not going to change the outcomes. To the contrary, it actually has contributed to the rising reputation of Ansarullah in the region. Another thing, and I think it's really important to mention, is that unlike previous wars, these resistance movements that are taking place throughout the Middle East are all initiated by the Arabs and the Muslims themselves. Mm. They are not retaliating per se, meaning that October 7th, it was a purely Palestinian military operation in response to the occupation, the siege, apartheid, and all of that. But it was a decision that they have made. The same thing happened with Hezbollah. The same thing happened with Ansarullah. Why this matters? It matters because it means that the Americans are the ones who are on the defensive and when you are on the defensive and you think that you can change outcome by just, you know, just going to, you know, a war here and there thinking, as Kirby has said today, I hope that the Ansarullah people have received the message. 
What message? It was predictable. We knew that you were going to do this, and it's not going to change the outcomes in any way. But the fact that it's the Americans and their allies who are reacting, it means that they have no long-term strategic goals. The long-term strategic goals are actually being controlled by the by the natives of the region, by the by the organic groups that are fighting, whether in Palestine, in Lebanon, in Iraq, in Yemen, and elsewhere. And that's why there is so much panic here in Washington. There is so much panic because they've never been in this situation before, definitely not since the early 90s, when they made a strategic decision to go to war against Iraq to control the, the energy and oil resources and to protect Israel and to elevate Israel as the most important regional power. Um, and, and, and this is changing now. This is changing fundamentally in the way that the Americans behave in the, in the region and the way that the region is reacting to American and Israeli dominance. Finally, Dr. Ramzi, we, of course, are anticipating uh, the the uh, decision of the court, the actual decision of genocide or not. One assumes it will be years you know, from now, but the relief measures or, 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 or some statement coming out of the ICJ is, is expected uh, next week or the week, week thereafter. Regardless of whatever is the decision of the panel or the bench, would reg- you know, in, in, in highlighting the plight of the Palestinian people in general and the crimes of uh, of the state of Israel, the IDF, as well as those who rank in the political rank and file of uh, the state of Israel. What has this case that South Africa has brought, what has it done positively to the Palestinian cause and, and what will it be remembered for regardless of the results years from now? Absolutely. First, what it has done to international law at one point, including myself, and, and, and we can't really be blamed for this. We have reached a point that international law has, has really represents nothing but ink on paper. It has no function, no value. To the contrary, it exists to be dominated and to be manipulated by those who wants to use it for their own sinful purposes but when it comes to the oppressed it's never there and 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 you know you you've seen the likes of uh, Guterres uh, the secretary general of the of the UN himself he says word for word the united nations does not have the resources to stop this war it means we are more or less irrelevant you know um, and it is sad and tragic but now i feel like this case is going to if it works um, and, and, and inshallah it will. But if it, if it works, it will be, it will renew a slight sliver of hope that the international system could have enough caveats, enough margins that would allow it, oppressed people to actually use the international system to achieve something of real and, and value that is not uh, based on political manipulation by the US. What does it mean as far as um, the role of South Africa in particular, I think it's so significant because these international institutions, quite often people in the global south are marginalized. And if it's anything, they are the ones who are usually having to answer to various legal cases at these courts, not the ones who are actually taking a case, making a point, defending it brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly and winning and winning on behalf of another nation um, like the Palestinians. This could open up a Panadora's box in terms of 
um, global South countries taking charge, asserting themselves and standing up for something that matters to them. What does it mean for the Palestinians as well? I think if this works, it could indeed be the beginning uh, of, of the final chapter in exposing Israel as an apartheid state, a bad state that is run based on on, 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 on nasty racist agendas that do not belong in the modern world. It doesn't don't belong to any world for that matter. In fact, today we, we've heard the news that Israel has been disqualified from an international uh, sports championship. It's it's like the whole South African history is is being replayed again. Their struggle against apartheid and the delegitimization of the apartheid regime, it's actually happening before our eyes. We need to keep this momentum going so that we speed up the process of ending this mockery of international law, ending this mockery of the sanctity of human lives, and finally, finally, take away the initiative from the West of how they manipulate international law and let it work in our favor for once. Dr. Ramzi Baroud, shukran jazakum for joining us on Radio Islam International for this uh, discussion. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll hear more from you, Dr. Ramzi, in a while. Inshallah. Thank you very much, brother.